So welcome to the podcast. And I've got a wonderful guest here today, which is um, really, really uh, fantastic. And I'm totally excited about this conversation we're going to have. So this is Dr. Anna Powell, and who's a neuroscientist, but I want her to introduce herself, if you don't mind. Yeah, thanks, Chris. Yeah, it's yeah. really, really good to be here. Um, so Chris is actually my teacher, so it's really wonderful to have this opportunity to, mm. to speak with him today. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a neuroscientist. Uh, I got my PhD 10 years ago in integrative neuroscience. My background is specifically in behavioral epigenetics. Um, maybe we'll do a podcast on epigenetics yeah, sometimes. Yeah. <laughs> um, and we've been talking about all the different podcasts we could do. We've, yeah. got, we've got a lot of crossover Lots of, of interest, haven't we? Yeah. Sparking yeah. off, which yeah, is really yeah. exciting. Yeah. Um, I'm also a, a yoga practitioner and mm. a yoga teacher. And again, something we were talking about is the, the fascination we both have with the way that these two, two worlds, these two ways of acquiring knowledge interface with each other. And yeah. so I think we've got a lot, yeah. a lot in common and the ways that we think about these things. Um, so yeah, really excited to see how this conversation unfolds. Yeah. And um um, today, particularly, we're looking at uh, how do you introduce this? A, a, a vagus nerve. Yeah. Yeah. So we're going to have a conversation about the vagus nerve, and there's a lot of cultural mythology currently, mm-hmm. uh, which we'll call it that, around mm-hmm. the vagus nerve. So we want to have a little bit more clarity around what the vagus nerve is and what it actually does. And of course, there are several theories out there, which we're going to explore a little bit and look at some of the information around that and what is more useful to understand yeah. and what is less useful to understand what you can do you know what's useful to work with is yeah. that clear to say is that yeah, do you want anything to that or is that yeah and i think just to kind of frame this as very much an introductory uh chat yeah, and, yeah. and we can perhaps yeah. provide some references at the end for you to to go away and explore things on your own as well i think neither of us want to sit here and say that we've got all the answers to to things um but i'd love so- to do i'd love to do that. I'd, <laughs> no, 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 i'd love to do that because it's completely inaccurate i don't right <laughs> um yeah and i think we're both quite keen for this to be um a way of stimulating your interest yes in in, in this fascinating yeah. topic yes and you know we're both fans of science you know my background is a biologist particular interest in evolutionary biology at the moment um you know so I'm, I'm very very keen on understanding the scientific method and how it helps us to live better and understand the practices we teach better whilst also understanding that science does have its limits yeah you know it, it, it's it's a methodology it's mm-hmm. a particular approach um but we've got to be clear about what it can and can't do and that's really necessary. It's not just about throwing the baby out with the bathwater. You know, yeah. it's not about um, you know bypassing detailed information and knowledge and jumping straight into some big picture meta narrative or big picture story about whatever it is. You know, because that's really common in the world, isn't it? Which yeah. is kind of bypassing yeah. type of stuff. So it's, we think it's really, really important that yeah. we wrap our head around and get deep into this information and actually have fun doing. So, yeah, I mean, I, I find this stuff mind blowingly fun, don't it's- you? beautifully complex it's beautifully complex fascinating yeah. so so with regard to vagus nerve where do we begin um the fourth branchial arch is that a good place to begin? <laughs> um maybe maybe we can talk a little bit about the fact that the vagus nerve is one of a set of cranial nerves yeah. um yeah. so these are nerves that that exit the skull and travel to various places mainly in the face area um some come down or one particular comes down into the the muscles of the the base of the neck and the cranial nerve is, well, that's, is a, that's actually a really important one the 11th isn't yeah, it it's a really important the 11th, yeah yeah, yeah. 
Um, maybe we'll do one on a podcast on that. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, but the vagus nerve is the tenth in this set of twelve or thirteen, depending on who you, yeah, who you read. Um, probably thirteen, thirteen cranial nerves. Um, and they're they're pairs of nerves. So each each one um has to a right and a left branch and the vagus nerve is is number 10 of this set and it's the longest mm. um it's an incredible uh information highway super highway um that travels down from from the brain stem which is in the base of of your your brain exits through the skull in the same place as your um jugular vein and your carotid artery so where you can feel your pulse on your neck is where your vagus nerve descends or ascends, depending on yeah, perspective. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, and it it basically it travels down through the entire um torso, yeah, yeah, touching on each pretty much every organ of of the abdominal and thoracic space. So everything and thoracic just because thoracic means your chest and yeah. abdominal and is down abdominal, in your belly. Yeah. So it basically travels all the way down through the body. Yeah. We want to make this information as accessible as possible. So you haven't got a science background or a biology background or something like that. We're trying we'll try and keep on top of the terms to help translate those a bit because otherwise it can be a bit overwhelming. And it's like learning a second language, yeah. isn't it? It's it's a bit complicated at times. So thorax is your chest and abdomen is your belly, yeah. just just be clear. And, and you know, we'll do our best to explain stuff to make it really accessible. Yeah. Yeah. I'm trying. Yeah. Maybe stop me if I get, uh, get carried likewise, away. likewise. <laughs> um so yeah, there's this information super highway. Yeah. Um I just want to say that again, because that's what it is. Yeah. Say that again. It's brilliant. Yeah, information yeah. super highway. It's an information super highway. Yeah. Yeah. And that's what nerves are. They they carry information in in electrical or chemical form, or both actually. Yeah. Um, and for the vagus nerve in particular, something that's really important to say is that information goes in in both directions. Yeah. So it goes from the body, so from the organs of of the the torso, up into the brain via the brainstem. And there's also information coming down from the brain to the body. And that's a really important point, I think, to, yeah, yeah. to, to name. And for the vagus nerve specifically, most of that information is coming what we term um, in, in biology as bottom up. So from the body up to the brain. Um, and it's 80 percent, about 80 percent of the information that's carried in the vagus nerve is is from the body up. to the And what's brain. the proper word for that? The proper word is afferent information. Afferent. Thank you. Afferent. So afferent so information comes. It's, it's useful to know. It's because you read any stuff. The word you're going to find in the books is yeah. afferent. Afferent yeah. is from the body up and efferent, efferent is from is, the brain down. The way that I remember that is afferent is information exiting the brain. E nice. Exit. Nice. Nice little bit of a yeah. primer as well there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, yeah, we've got this incredible structure. Um and if you if you look for images of the vagus nerve, you you can see this incredible branching kind of almost tree root like structure. Um, yeah. And vagus actually comes from the Latin to wander. Um, so hmm. the idea was, vagabond. Yeah, vag exactly the same root as that. And um, and vacation. Is it the same? Yeah. No, it might yeah. be. It might no, no, might not the same root. I don't know. That could be yeah. Va vacation. Uh, no, uh, vagabond differently. Um, Definitely. All right. So if, if we go, you know, there's a guy called Durbanskid. And what he said was that anything, uh, the only way you can understand things in biology is through the lens of evolution. Yeah. Right. So one of the things, why does this nerve go all over the place? And of course, if we go back to cartilaginous fish, that nerve serves the fourth to seventh branchial arch, which is if you look at the kind of gill arches of a shark, it serves a particular part of that structure. Right. And what evolution does is adapt and repurpose to meet new environmental demand. 
I'll say it again, because it's really important to understand this. Evolution is amazing. And it, it, it's, it, it, it's stunningly complicated and stunningly beautiful. So it's, it's adapting and repurposing whatever there is. It's not planning ahead for the next thing that's going to happen. It's not thinking, oh, I better have some nerves there for when I get up and walk up on land. No, it's just adapting and repurposing what there is. So what we see with the vagus nerve is this, um, this, this change as livingness crawled up onto the land and started walking. And we went through bony fish first and into amphibians and reptiles and started crawling on the land, getting up and walking, doing that kind of thing. That nerve has been repurposed over and over again. Yeah. yeah. So it's, it's kind of moved through the system and it's ended up with this long, windy route. So we call it the vagus nerve. Yeah. But it doesn't quite do that same thing in sharks. It's different. So it's yeah. this constant yeah. adaptation. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And evolutionary functions find a, uh, the evolution of function finds a niche in what's already there. Right. And, yeah. then, and then uses that. Yeah. So, yeah. yeah. Or we can do a podcast on these on these <laughs> <laughs> we had a great chat earlier on it's just like covered so much to rain but we'll yeah come on. sparky sparky yeah, yeah. thoughts yeah yeah so um so vagus nerve um so what does it do hmm well as i said a lot of the information is coming up from the the body so i'm yeah. going to use the word viscera to refer to the organs of of the of the torso so to be specific um the a big a big um area of of vagal innovation is the gut so uh, the vagus nerve plays a really big role in 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 gut function and i'll talk about that a little bit more specifically mm-hmm. um and also in um the lungs and the heart are probably the the main places that that we'll focus on today. But just know that, that the the nerve touches on on more organs than that. But if we focus on the gut, the heart, and the lungs, yeah, um, and then also moving up to the the muscles of the the larynx and the pharynx, which are the the kind of um, speaking apparatus yeah, that yeah. we have here, and I think some innovation of the tongue as well. Yes, there's some innovation of the tongue. Um, and so I think speaking more functionally about what the nerve actually does, um, I think a useful way is to separate it into probably three major functions. Um, one of those is, is sensory. So that's information coming up from the organs, uh, including the tongue and the ear. So um, more kind of uh, well-recognized sensory information, taste and and hearing, but also information about the state of the gut, the rate of the heartbeat, the rate of respiration. Mm -hmm. All of that sensory information is coming up. Then we also have motor function, which is, um, to use uh, another term, we have bottom up and we have top down. So motor function is a top down brain to body flow of information and um there we have motor control of the heart motor control of the gut the sort of peristaltic mechanisms of the gut motor control of the tongue and and parts of the throat um and then finally um the the vagus nerve is also a, a major part of what's called the parasympathetic nervous system so here um we're talking about the autonomic nervous system another podcast episode probably but this is the part of our nervous system that controls um things we don't have to think about doing things that happen outside of of conscious control you could think about you could take temperature of you know acidity of the blood you could talk about digestion mostly respiratory rate unless breath is aware it's out of awareness there's all sorts of stuff going on isn't it just about everything everything that runs you 
yeah. yeah basically all, all of the yeah. sort of the inner workings that, that keep things ticking over that all falls under the the umbrella term of autonomic function you can replace autonomic with automatic um and the vagus nerve is a, a major part of the autonomic nervous system specifically what's called the parasympathetic branch um and we should mention those two branches yeah actually, I, think. I, think, I think you know again for those of you not familiar with these terms there's you know you've got the autonomic nervous system which is that which runs the show basically everything that's not voluntary or conscious um that's got two branches the autonomic nervous system and the sympathetic nervous yeah. system parasympathetic and sympathetic yeah and sympathetic is what we think of as um busy doing stuff yeah often yeah. referred to as fight or flight but i think both of us would yeah. would challenge that because it implies yeah. um a particular kind of action whereas yeah. really it's it's about action in general yeah arousal high arousal is a better a better yeah. way of, of talking yeah. about it. i mean it does include those extremes yeah, you know so. it does include it's 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 any it's you know if you get ready to move if i take think i'm going to get up mm. then what happens is you know my muscles are immediately prepped yeah. You know, with 20 milliseconds before I move, the diaphragm comes in, other muscles are coming in, there's movement happening, and that's sympathetic nervous yeah. system. So there's, it's not, you know, I'm not getting up because I'm frightened, I'm getting up because I want to go and get a drink or something, you know what I mean? So it's not, it's not that simple. And, yeah, and people absolutely. do tend to represent it as fight, what is it, fight, fright, flight, fawn. And a word we can't say. Flop and f, -f <laughs> yes, that one. Okay, because that's because erotic response, <laughs> ero erotic responses to those kind of extremely difficult con contexts also does occur. Yeah. Um, yeah. You know, but we're, we're not going to go there. That's another podcast. Right? <laughs> we should um, be writing a list. Yeah, we should do. Um, we can look back. So, yeah, that's it. the sympathetic branch. And then you have yeah. the parasympathetic branch, um, which is, again, often referred to as rest and digest, which is perhaps m more accurate than fight or flight. But it's, I kind of think of it as the business as usual branch. So, it's kind of like yeah. when action isn't needed. Um, like when you don't have to get up mm. um, to make a cup of tea, it 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 steps in to to do everything else that needs all the housekeeping stuff, like extracting nutrients from your food, conserving energy. Yeah, um, yeah. yeah. I think I think you know these dis distinctions do matter in terms because you know because it depends on what mode of um ns function we're going to that really does affect digestion affects respiration breathing and i want to keep bringing this back to breathing as well from time to time so of we're going to bring but of course yes of course it does. <laughs> you know and, and the vagus nerve actually does feed into part of the diaphragm the back part of the diaphragm the crural part of the diaphragm which is a bit that wraps around your esophagus so it's connected to the sphincter mm -hmm. and how you digest it so you know so there are there are lots of connections through the system and i think one of the key takeaways we're going to help you to hopefully to find here is just complexity mm, absolutely. and actually the beauty of complexity complexity yes. is not confusing it doesn't have to be confusing yeah. it it it's it's an invitation for deeper yeah. uh, study for deeper inquiry yeah um yeah. so so Vegas and I have got talked a little bit about its detail, a little bit about its evolution so far, where it's come from, you know, it, it's it's repurposing adaptation to new form, meeting new environmental demands. And and we hear a lot in the sort of, you know, therapeutic breath world, yoga worlds about vagal tone and about a polyvagal theory. So I think we should have a look at where should we start? Should we start with vagal tone or polyvagal? Let's start with vagal tone. I think it's yeah. quite a good um in to, to other other parts of yeah. perhaps um oversimplification that, that that's kind of happening in the yeah. in the stratosphere so again the invitation is to drop the oversimplification yeah you know and and and, and the invitation again is to go into sort of the beauty of complexity and, and to be comfortable with resting in that place of 
of not knowing as well. I mean, a, a, a large part of science is recognizing that there are things that we are not able to know currently and maybe we'll never be able to know. And and it's really attractive for us uh, with our human minds to want to compartmentalize and label and, and, and know definitively. And actually, contrary to what a lot of people think, science is, is a lot of the time about un- unknowing, um, as, as is a lot of spiritual practice, right? So, I think a lot of death spiritual practice. I yeah. think, you know, we've, you know, I think the, you know, the social media Instagram kind of world of everybody knows, you know, you, this is the fact that this A equals B. You know, that kind of yeah, simplicity exactly. that's out there. If you do this, then you will get this. And that kind of simplicity is very rarely supported in any scientific depth inquiry. Yeah. Um, and and the, like like Anna said, this resting into not knowing and being okay. Well, we know this and we know this and we know this, but we don't know that yet. We've got yeah. a lot more work to find that out. And, that and isn't that great? Isn't that wonderful? Yeah. 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 Uh, isn't that wonderful? Yeah, it uh, is. Exactly. Yeah. And I, I think we're both really keen to convey to convey that. The beauty of, of of not knowing yeah. um so in that case back to vagal tone vagal tone. vagal tone yeah um so i think i think the, the term vagal tone probably comes um from a, a sort of uh repurposing of the the phrase muscle tone mm-hmm. um and it's it's quite hard in the literature to really understand specifically what is meant by vagal tone but it's it's a phrase that gets used a lot and I think my my understanding is that it it basically implies more vagal activity. So nerves can be more or less active um, at a given point in time. Mm-hmm. And I think vagal tone is used to imply the vagus nerve is is more active relative to to a, a previous state. Mm-hmm. Um, so I think that's kind of what what the term is being used for. And there's an assumption that higher vagal tone is a good thing, is positive, that you see that again a, a lot in, in the sort of, um, yeah, social media world and, and therapeutic some, world. Yeah, the therapeutic world is rich in these kind of simple yeah, takes. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I think that's, you know, there's as always, there's probably some truth to, to what's being said, but um, the idea that m- more activity in a particular nerve is definitively always a good thing is is massively flawed um again something we were talking about earlier is something that's really important in our nervous system is is adaptability so constant the whole point of the nervous system is to keep us safe and to keep us within certain parameters that that allow us to to live yeah. fully i yeah. think is yeah, yeah. we're talking about home- <laughs> we're talking about homeostasis you know homeostasis is the maintenance of an internal state within certain parameters I mean, it's, it's dynamic, really. I like the term homeodynamic, but well, but there are clear parameters. There's, you know, too much oxygen will kill you. Too little oxygen will kill you. Yeah, yeah. Too high a temperature will kill you. Too low a temperature. You go far enough. I mean, for sure, you can sit in an ice bath, but you go a bit further and you'll be dead. You know, it's not that yeah. not, not not that much further on that side. And you know, so there's um, <clears throat> so within those parameters and the maintenance within that well within those borders is what the biological systems are consistently seeking to do exactly and when you step out of that you start to get diseased cells you start to get diseased organs you start to head in towards death yeah um so homeostasis if we use that term is uh, a profound understanding of how the system's work yeah and it is inherently dynamic and things change all the time right The, the environment that we're exposed to changes 
all of the time. So a healthy nervous system is a nervous system that is able to respond to those demands placed on it by um, external factors. So the idea that upping the the activity in a, in a given nerve is always a good thing is, yeah, massively flawed, as I said earlier. Mm. And probably what we're looking for um, more importantly in the vagus nerve is the ability to respond to those environmental demands. Um, so I think the term vagal tone is is problematic and yeah. maybe what we should be talking about is vagal resilience or vagal responsivity. Um, yeah, yeah, VR, we'll call it VR. <laughs> yeah. We'll patent it. Yeah, we'll patent it, <laughs> VR, TM. Um, yeah. Yeah, vagal responsivity or vagal, yeah. you know, I think that's a yeah. good, good way of understanding. We want a responsive um you know, 10th yeah. tenth, tenth cranial nerve. Yeah, absolutely. In conjunction with all the other rest of the system, because this doesn't operate by itself. No. Nothing in the system operates by itself. It's intimately interwoven with everything else in the system. And this is this is where we go into complexity, because we're I'm trying seeking to understand the complex puzzle of how this works. Yeah. Which is amazing. Yeah. And sometimes uh, in science, you need to go, you need to reduce, you need to go to the, the specific... Um, part of that system and study it in detail to then integrate it into the bigger picture and yeah. and, and and that's a difficult thing to do and um a difficult thing to communicate uh so yeah yeah, yeah. so um, the, um i think we should we have to mention because we have to mention polyvagal theory um <clears throat> and dr stephen porges came up with polyvagal theory um and there's a lot of literature on it now, and it's very popular in the therapeutic worlds, in the yoga world, in the breathwork world, you know, the, the domains that I work within, um, you know, therapeutic world. You know, you, there's a lot about polyvagal theory. So I think it's worthwhile just saying what it is a little bit. Yeah. And then we can go into whether or not that information is flawed or not, or in what way it might be flawed and what's helpful mm. there as well. Because we really want to keep... You know, we don't want to throw babies out with bathwater. No, absolutely. We want to make sure that there's, because there is, you know, there's obviously something useful in it. And yeah. and, and so what Dr. Paul just came up with was a, 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 a story that there's two vagus nerves, a dorsal vagus nerve and a ventral vagus nerve, not one. And there are two roots to the vagus nerve, but we'll come back to that, whether that's accurate or not later. Um, and the idea is that the dorsal vagal nerve particularly serves you know it's the, it's, the, it's the nerve that goes down to your guts and it serves down here and, the, and, the, and the, most of it some of it's here but the, most of the fibers of it go down here and the ventral vagus nerve is more oriented up here and up in the facial structures and connected to the other cranial nerves so that's that's the basis of the story and that those two nerves then have different functions and the other part of the, of the theory is that this is a particular mammalian adaptation so it's in mammals that this is repurposed for social engagement how we communicate with each other um and the what that model then says is that you're either in that autonomic parasympathetic function which is your dorsal vagal or your ventral vagal and you can move between those two or you're in sympathetic nervous system which we talked about as arousal but usually in the porges model they think of that as fight flight that kind of thing that extreme sympathetic not just functional sympathetic yeah so there's that that's the kind of base of the model and then the other aspect of the model is that there's crossovers between those zones and i find those quite interesting i mean like we said earlier you can just do this mm. i just riff this through mm. yeah yeah um 
you know, if you crossover between the dorsal and the ventral, so that's the dorsal down here and the ventral up here, you know, the dorsal is going to activate when you put food in your belly, you're going to go into it, you're going to go into that rest and digest as well as the base level of dorsal. But also there's a place where dorsal and ventral can can cross over. And that's where you've got pillow talk, where you've got postcoital kind of connection, that deep intimacy, cuddle up, you know, cuddle puddles, that kind of thing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And then you've got a crossover between the ventral and the sympathetic, which is your realm of sports. So it could be anything from table tennis through to full MMA. It's anything uh, mixed martial arts, which is anything where you've got rules. You know, you're not actually going to die. Yeah, because full-on sympathetic nervous system function is pure survival. So it's good to have that, okay? Mm-hmm. And then he talks about a crossover between the sympathetic nervous system function and the dorsal, which is burnout, where you go so much into adrenalized over overactivity on, for such a long period that you then crash and burn. And he suggests that's a crossover with dorsal function. And of course, you can go the other way from dorsal into sympathetic, where you can just go into frozen collapse state as well into that hybrid zone. So we've got six points of contact. then, if you think about that, okay, you've got the dorsal, you've got dorsal sympathetic down here. You've got uh, dorsal ventral. You've got ventral. You've got sympathetic. You've got sympathetic dorsal. But yeah, so that possibility like a circle like that going around. Now, the thing is, we were talking. I think that's a fantastic explanatory model about, you know, it connects with how we understand how we human beings kind of work. Mm. Yeah. What yeah. you got? What you going to add to that? Are you? Um. Yeah. No, I I think definitely kind of labeling states and recognizing them as 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 physiological primarily yeah, yeah. is really useful, and it is something that has been neglected in in sort of therapeutic models, largely in, in the Western world, where we tend to focus very much on kind of head-only cognitive yes. thinking our way up of difficulty. Um, and so I th- I think, yeah, that, that idea that we have these physiological states which interact with our emotional and, and cognitive um, states as well is, is really, really helpful. And I think having those labels um, is probably therapeutically useful for... Yeah. for some people yeah now, having said that porges model is completely not accepted in social neuroscience it's not recognized in terms of evolutionary biology biology or social neuroscience and, and why is that why is it recognized in the therapeutic world this explanatory model but it's not accepted at a deeper level so what's the problems with this polyvagal theory i think probably it can be summarized by saying it's an overemphasis on the role of the vagus nerve in in modulating mediating these states and it's an oversimplification of the mediation modulation of these states yeah i think those two oversimplification overemphasis kind of encapsulate a lot of the criticism that there is um and also probably explain its its therapeutic appeal because yeah. um because it does have this simplicity which the the physiology doesn't have the the kind of functional physiology doesn't have that simplicity and again there's a load of stuff that we we don't know and we we have no way of knowing at this time so yeah i think there is a word that you missed out which is misinformation yeah i know we've got to say this because i mean there's stuff that Borges clearly states in his work that he says that 
you know, the, the vagus nerve is repurposed for mammals only in terms of social engagement. And there's no evidence for that. You know, we've got evidence of, of you know, vagus nerve doing social function in reptiles. And there are reptiles that have social function. You know, birds, birds are the, the, the descendants of dinosaurs. Yeah. And they have self-social function. They lay eggs. They bring birds up to forest. They, they do nesting. They do families. They do all this kind of stuff. And so, do you know, there's evidence of dinosaurs doing this. Some dinosaurs doing this. Some are not so uh, sociable. But you know, it's not just that. It's it's so. There's some of the stuff in there is kind of like, um, not really. And some of it's definitively not. Yeah. Um, I think that's fair Let's to say. But, yeah, I think maybe I'm, I'm thinking perhaps if we if we look at um, what polyvagal theory says about vagal innovation of the heart, so um, vagal control of of heart rate, and mm. um, that's probably a, a good yeah. example to yeah. use of, yeah, of, of misinformation. Yeah. Um, so first of all, what polyvagal theory claims um, is that uh, in uh, well-functioning states, um, states where we feel safe and we're socially engaged, um, what is labelled as ventral vagal in, in polyvagal theory, um, then the, the ventral branch of, of the vagus nerve is, is controlling the heart rate. Um, and just as an aside, what we definitely do know is that um, the ventral vagal innervation of the heart serves to slow down heart rate. So if you took the vagus nerve away from the heart, the heart rate would go up massively from about average of 70, 80 beats a minute to about 100 and something. But, yeah. you know, quite a yeah. big increase. If That's the sort of intrinsic um, rate of the heart. And then the vagus nerve comes in and acts like a brake. So that's just a little aside and that that is um that is valid that is scientifically um supported um the second claim that that porges and, and polyvagal theory make is that um the dorsal branch of the vagus nerve so this is the one um as chris was saying that um is involved in digestive functions and again that is supported by the yeah. literature we do know that the dorsal vagal branch is mostly concerned with digestion but Porges um, claims that there's also um, brand, uh, parts of the dorsal vagal nerve that innervate the heart and that can bring about a massive slowing of heart rate when we enter these freeze states that are associated with dorsal vagal um, activation. And that claim just isn't supported by the literature in the slightest. Um, there's no data for that at all then? So... <clears throat> Firstly, it, it varies across species, the amount of um, influence the dorsal vagal branch has over the heart. Yeah. In humans, it looks like it's a very, very small um, part yeah. of the story. Yeah. Um, so I think um, the figure that's coming to mind is, is when um, scientists have removed the influence of dorsal vagal um, input over the heart. It's had a, about a 7% change in, okay. in, in heart rate. Um, which compared to the influence of the, the, the ventral vagal nerve um, is tiny, tiny, yeah. insignificant. So the idea that um, dorsal vagal states, dorsal vagal activation brings about this massive slowing in heart rate that's associated with shutdown or freeze or, or fainting even um, just isn't supported by the literature. And that's just one example of, of several where claims are being made that are just not 
not supported. Not supported. Um, yeah, so we yeah. could we could describe those as misinformation. Yeah. Um, I think also, I mean, one of the key measures that he uses is RSA. And we need to say what RSA is. Yeah. I mean, RSA is mostly known as HRV, heart rate variability. Um, do you want to say a little bit about that? Yeah, so heart rate variability is is more of a kind of umbrella term, I guess, for yeah. fluctuations in the timing of heartbeats. So we tend to think of our pulse as being quite regular, but actually it's not. There are uh, micro changes between um, sub uh, sequential heartbeats, and um, that is heart rate variability, basically. Um, and there's a again, I think probably a whole podcast worth of, of yes. material on yes. heart rate variability, but that's what the term means. And then within that, um, a big driver of heart rate variability is um, respiratory sinus arrhythmia, which is RSA, as Chris just referred to it. Um, and this is the change in heart rate that occurs um, between inspiration, so inhale and exhale. So let's just get people to take a breath. I mean, just just take an inhale, take an inhale. And you can go into abdominal breath for a moment, but up into your chest as well. And see how big you can make your in-breath for a moment, right? Because what you know, your diaphragm's flattening down, external intercostals are opening up. So you're getting that good expansion of the chest. And what's happening in that is you're you're increasing the volume of the thoracic cavity by the diaphragm squashing down. So it's the downward there and outward. So you're increasing the volume of the thoracic cavity. Yeah. And of course, what happens when you do that in us, us mammals, uh, other animals are different, by the way, in us mammals is, is you're reducing the pressure in the chest substantially. It's suddenly a massively mm. reduced pressure in the chest. And of course, that's why air gets sucked in, hopefully through the nose, by the way. But that's, that's yeah, that's another why. Podcast. Another podcast, yeah. <laughs> but that's, that's, that's where air gets sucked in. That's what an in-breath is. That's what an inhalation is, is that reduction in pressure. And of course, if you think about that reduction in pressure, it, you know, it's going to suck other stuff into the chest as well. Anything that can move, if your bones could move, they'd be sucked into mm. your chest as well. But they don't, all right? But your fluid does. So your venous return, that's blood coming back to the heart from the legs, from the body, from wherever, your arms, head, wherever, all that is sucked back into the chest. Cerebrospinal fluid is motivated by, by that breath, by those pressure changes. The whole brain moves. The whole, yeah, the whole brain is moving. Your eyes are going yeah. on the in-breath. Your eyes are going. It's amazing what's happening yeah. here. All right. But that's that those pressure changes that happen, of course, you know, lymphatic fluid, you name it, it's coming back in towards the chest. And of course, with that fluid flow, that mechanical change the heart needs to respond to that. So what happens ideally, if your heart is flexible enough in terms of its response, is it increases heartbeat rate. And then of course, as you begin to exhale, that fluid flow is going the other way. You've got this tidal flow and that heart can relax a little bit and drop down. And if you take a long, slow breath, you can even test it on your pulse. You mm -hmm. can put three fingers on your pulse, on your radial artery here, and you could test that yourself. You could feel it. You can actually feel the change. But that's largely mechanical. Mm. And what's happened with institutions like HeartMath and Borges' theory is that people are conflating that with vagal tone. Yeah. So you could call me... And wellness. And general. wellness. And wellness. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Yeah. So, of course, you yeah. want a responsive heart. Mm -hmm. You know, you want a heart that's going to respond to those fluid changes. Otherwise, it's going to get fatigued. It's going to get problemized. It hasn't got enough ATP to respond. You're going to have problems. And, mm -hmm. of course, that's what's indicated is you, yeah. if you have a low heart rate variability it's a really good measure of incipient problems building up in the system 
Because the that's... system's less flexible, it's less able to it's less deal responsive. with the demands. That, it's yeah. less responsive, yeah. yeah. And I think... But that conflation with the vagal, vagal tone is a, it's one to out, I think. Yeah, I think so. And it's, a, it's an interesting thing that's happened. And if you think about it, you've got these multiple layers of abstraction. So first of all, what's happening is we're equating vagal tone with good states. Yeah. Um, so that's a first level of, of oversimplification and overemphasis of the role of the vagus nerve in that. And then you've got on top of that, that the measure that you're using to get at vagal tone is, is yet another step of abstraction, which is um, people are saying that heart rate variab variability can be used as a direct measure of vagal tone. So there's these two steps of that, neither of which are fully supported by the literature. Um, and I, I think that is I think that is problematic. Um, and you can see why it's happened. So there aren't many easily accessible physiological markers of of a well-functioning system, you know, without putting someone in a scanner yeah. or um, mm. sticking electrodes to them. So what we've got is, you know, a really simple, you, you can use you, your ring, does it, doesn't it? Yeah. Your, um, well, you know, there are all these wearable devices now that, that get at heart rate variability. Yeah. And there's probably a lot of interesting stuff to be said about that. And I think, you know, you, you'll know more than me on that. But the idea that, that this single index, this single measure can be used as a measure of the functioning of a single nerve and that that single nerve can then be attributed to these really complex psycho-emotional states is unhelpful i think i think it's unhelpful yeah i mean it's good it's good to have these beginnings of understandings yeah. and if we, if we think about it you know then again you know exploring the relationship to hrv and wellness uh, it, it's a good thing to yeah. do yeah these are good things to do but yeah and potentially really interesting stuff will come out of that but it, yeah. it's very early days and and yeah. big claims are being made that, that that aren't supported and big business yeah, indeed. You know, a lot of, you know, there's a lot of business. HRV is big business now, a billion dollar business, HRV, you know, with the different metrics, the devices, everything like that. And also, you know, all the people who are supporting their therapeutic sessions with stories about vagal tone and HRV. So it, it's kind of, it's kind of, you know, one of the problems we've got is that in a system that is functioned on grabbing attention, grasping attention, and then monetizing attention, we kind of need those pieces of sound bites like that because it makes us look like we're an authority it makes it looks like we know stuff and what we're saying here is actually there's a lot of stuff we don't know and it's the stuff that we don't know actually that really leads us to increase the stuff that we do know mm. and that's the beauty mm. of not knowing is that it's that's the direct guide to where we need to find more information and that that yeah. is kind of delicious then yes you know? yeah and what having these overly simplistic models does is is shut down that that um inquisition that that yeah, yeah. kind of yeah. investigation of yeah. oh wow there's this this thing that we don't understand like how how can we get a better understanding of, of what's going on yeah so we've just we've done a little sort of exposition around what polyphagal theory is and we've had a look at the um what do you say again what the words you vagal resilience yeah with vagal resilience yes vagal resilience you know the inaccuracies i should yeah. say the lack of support of polyvagal theory both at the misinformation level and um, misconstruing certain things. I mean, there's 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 not even actually any functional evidence of there being two nerves, as I understand it. Yes, there's a dorsal root and a vagal root, but the two nerves story is not supported. No, and actually, there's the, yeah. the um, 
the fibers of the vagus nerve because that's another thing that perhaps we didn't we didn't explain we talk about it as a single nerve but within that there are lots and lots of nerve fibers i mean there has to be yeah. because there's information going in both directions it's a super highway it's information it's a super, super highway yeah like many many lanes like yeah. a multi-lane um, motorway yeah. um and uh i've forgotten where i was going with that but um just this decision dorsal and ventral yeah so there, there are these these origins in the brainstem that can be mapped onto mm. sort of dorsal being more towards the, the back body and ventral yeah. being more towards the front as in dorsal fin um <laughs> that's a, that's an important point to make um but the, there are also um fibers that come from other places in the brainstem as well so um the idea that there are uh, these two two just these two branches um yeah. certainly the the dorsal and the ventral um fibers are predominantly the ones that go top down um mm. but there's there's lots of others that come from other places that come bottom up so um i mean that's a whole specialist area of knowledge is the kind of anatomy of cranial nerves which is not not my yeah. area but it, it, i've got a ton of books on here you know <laughs> we were looking at some of the books earlier on that you know evolutionary biology books and things like that you know just looking at some stuff playing yeah. around you know any domain that we look at is a lifetime of work and this is why science can be so complicated. You know, if you look at anything like, you know, under, understanding the cranial nerves, you'll have, I don't know, thousands of people yeah. who are putting lifetimes, lifetimes of work, thousands of people yeah. with lifetimes of work, yeah. eliciting the information to understand what we understand. So no one person can know all that. That's the level of information we're at. It's huge. It's absolutely vast. So to be able to simplify it and bring it down to little sound bites like this is a massive oversimplification. So you know, again, we have to. We have to. I think there's a certain humility in that, mm. um, where we yeah. can land in that. Actually, yeah. and again, in that, actually, I don't have all the answers. Yeah. Absolutely, we can find them out. Stuff, some stuff for you. We, you know, it's really interesting, but there's, there's beauty in that. So, given given that we've talked about this, what what can we help people to take away or to what's useful? Because we don't want you know, we don't want you, if you're going to listen to this, then we don't want you to come this far and feel, oh, everything I thought I knew, I don't. Well, actually, that's really good thing. Actually, everything you thought, <laughs> job done, <laughs> job done. Everything you thought you knew, you don't. All right. Um, if you haven't seen the Dunning Kruger effect, it's a really interesting one. Yeah, you know, uh, you know. But then Dunning Kruger, if I look it up on Google, Dunning Kruger effect. But the, um, you know, what 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 is helpful for you know, if, if if somebody's into breath work, if somebody's into yoga type stuff, yoga movement, breathing and movement, or pilates or if you're into therapy and that kind of thing and you haven't got a background in neuroscience like anna has if you're not haven't got the same background as we have what is helpful to take away that can actually help you with your work what can what can we offer because we we just stripped out hrv <laughs> we just stripped out the polyvagal theory as a, you know it's a it's a kind of helpful explanatory model at a very basic level but other than that it's not really supported so what is helpful it's it's a tricky it's a tricky one to to answer in that way and I think both of us in our work as um, kind of facilitators and and teachers um, are really careful to stay away from sort of diagnostic um, yeah. kind of do this practice for this effect um, because again it's complex. Yeah, just let's say that again because this is because really, <laughs> again there's so much you know there's so much out there that says do this one practice whatever yeah. it is you know let's let's take a breathwork example let's breathe in for six and hold the breath for seven and breathe out for eight and if you do that every day you will get this thing. Yeah right whenever anybody says that one thing you do know is they don't know what they're talking about mm -hmm. right 
that's the key takeaway because the weight systems are way 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 more interesting nuanced yeah. and complicated than that yeah all right so maybe that is what, what what we can offer and certainly what i think we both try and offer in in our teachings is yeah. find out for yourself how these practices make you feel don't let yeah. some model tell you how you're going to feel if you do a certain practice we know that breath work has massive effects on physiology that's undisputable how that those changes in physiology are going to make you feel is dependent on you and your history and your current state and so i think yes labeling states can be really useful in recognizing okay now i feel like i'm more in um a sympathetic state um but if that then shuts down any more exploration of what that actually feels like in your body then you're probably missing out on some really fascinating delicious information i would um, say you're missing out on the depth of information yeah. If if you on, on living, yeah, on, on living, on living at living at depth, living, yeah. living fun, living a beautiful life. Yeah. Yeah. Because that, that those oversimplified practices, if you take them uh, the way they are presented, i.e., x, if you do x, you'll get z or whatever it is, a, b. Um, you know, they're they're limiting your depth inquiry, and yeah. you know, one of the things we've talked about is the, you know, the the need for subjective. In, yeah. inquiry yeah. subjective science if you like which is you trying things out how does that feel in your system yeah how does it feel for you how do you know how it feels and how does that change say during the course of the day what's it like in the morning what's it like in midday what's it like after you've eaten what's it like before you go to bed what's it like the next day what's it like next week if you're a female what's it like um you know when you menstruate what's it like mm. you know what are the different you know you if you look at a, a, a menstruation process then you've got you know, you've got the ovulation, you've got the changes in hormones creating that, you've got the rise of progesterone, the drop of progesterone. We know that progesterone affects breathing. What yeah. happens then? You know, and what happens in your body? More yeah, to exactly, exactly. Yeah. So maybe something to offer if the complexity and the lack of, of, of firm, like definitive answers around things feels overwhelming and feels destabilizing maybe there's a way to flip it to see it as actually empowering because what we're what this offers not what we're offering what this way of viewing things offers is a way to get really fascinated with what's true for you in a given yeah. moment yeah yeah and you've got you've got some metrics to really work with one you know one of the things one of the simple things i work with is like are you clear mm. do you feel clear and present yeah. If you feel clear and present, like right here, and you can, and you're in a problem-solving mode, you could, you know, you could you could address an issue. You could answer a question like, you know, what what what's a certain word in French or Spanish? If you know those languages or a mathematical problem, you know, your brain's switched on, and you're clear, and you're present, and you're bright, um, and you feel kind of relaxed in your body. You know, you, you know, what does that feel like? Some people don't know what that feels like. Okay, so if you're if you're struggling with the body, how do you learn how to? You know, if you've got your 11th cranial nerve, which we're going to talk about at some stage, aren't we? You know, upper trapezius, sternocleidomastoid, it invades those structures. If this is all tight and if you've got stuff going on here, you know, the, the, how do you learn? How do you learn from this subject experience to go deeper into that mm -hmm. and not take what it is at the moment as being the ultimate mm -hmm. possibility? Yeah. So there's a depth inquiry yeah. of that relationship between science, empirical knowledge, what we know and what we don't know. And how that then translates into your own subjective experience. Absolutely. And that's an ongoing inquiry that I'm afraid you're going to have to do. Yeah. And if somebody tries to give you definitive answers about how that is, I would suggest that 
they're probably not in the place of really knowing quite as clearly what they're talking about as they think they do. They're maybe at the top of the peak in the Dunning-Kruger effect. But but that's but I'm saying that because I think it's important that you, if you're going to put your life and the quality of your life and how you live in the hands of teachers and facilitators, I think it's important that you find facilitators and teachers who can facilitate that really, really well and not put your life in the hands of somebody who actually doesn't really know what they're talking about. And that, I, I, I'm going to put, I'm digging myself into a hole here, aren't I? How do I get out of this? Yeah. Help me out here a second. Maybe we'll come back to something else yeah. useful that's just yeah. kind of come to my mind as well. And it's yeah. something that, um, so I run workshops on, on yoga and the nervous system. Mm. It's not a plug. Um, oh, no plug. <laughs> a shameless plug here. Anna runs workshops on yoga and the nervous system. Okay, yoga is yoga is not just moving your body, it's breath, movement, yeah. lead, yeah. Depth, meditation, yeah. inquiry, all this kind of yeah. stuff. Yeah. yeah. Um, and one of the things that I really try and get across in, in, in a number of different ways is coming back to that resilience, I guess, and, and that yeah. need to kind of experience the full spectrum of of living of of arousal if you want to use physiological terms but and to to not vilify certain states as um again something i think that comes out of of polyvagal is sometimes this this idea that sympathetic arousal is is bad and definitely not and and i think coming back to kind of what you were saying is are you clear and can you fully inhabit these different states in a way that feels um centered yeah and you're not being carried into places that that don't feel yeah. beneficial another time we could talk about trauma we could talk about triggers we could go into this domain we've got a lot of, i think we could talk about but I, I think that's pretty much it for today that's a good place to stop. Uh, a good place to stop today i hope you enjoyed this conversation it pretty much was a conversation yeah and we've really enjoyed having the conversation and also the conversation before which we wish we could have filmed it was so good but, um yeah so we're going to carry on having these conversations yeah, i think we'll we'll and see if we yeah, can play some more so thank you for tuning in thank you very much for joining us i hope there's something of value in there and if you're going out into the world and looking for living a better life we want you to access the tools in a really good way and start finding out through through your own experience as well and that depth of that ongoing journey of discovery and an invitation into that it's nothing to be scared of. It's a beautiful, beautiful journey. Thank you. Thank you.